We are recording waveforms. Baby. They look normal. Baby, baby, baby. But but no, like, dude, okay, um, it this looks exactly like Garage Band, and I don't know why. Garage. I know I said that I was comfortable with Garage Band, but like, <laughs> what the fuck? They don't want you to hurt yourself on the on the sharp edges. They want it to just... You might get a splinter, though, from the wood paneling. <sighs> they didn't want me to hurt myself on the sharp edges. They should have bezeled the fucking yeah. Mac Pro. Man, that kills me. I, did I talk to you about this? Not yet. I think this is garbage. I think that this needs to be rounded. Because this is exactly where your wrists are. I agree. Come on. It's, it's a sharp metal edge, and it's not helping your carpal tunnel. You no, know, and of no, course, it is the not. Airs don't have this problem because they go down to nothing, so it, there's no edge to dig in. It should be round. Johnny, what are you? What the fuck are you doing, Johnny? Johnny, you're out. Adam, you're in. All right. First things. For, actually, you know what? First things first. Black metal. I would focus almost all of my energy on making black metal, and then I would also do this thing where um, I try to make a screen appear on a completely white slab, right? So like when the screen in an iPad is turned off, it just looks like a white sheet of plastic or glass. Mm. And then when you turn it on the screen, like essentially like darkness is added to it. That's, that's my dream. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Kind of like e-ink, but you know, perfect <laughs> in every way. I say, Hopefully. Well, I think I got working for Apple, you'd have the engineering resources to be able to pull that off, maybe. Yeah, it's for, yeah, for sure. But first, the stock price would, would tank because Johnny, when they kick out Johnny, that's then... We'll put him on gardening leave. People won't know that he's gone. Right. Yeah. It'll be a smooth transition. What did you say? Gardening leave? Gardening leave, yeah. Is that a, is that a real thing? It is. It is. That's a term? That's a term? It is a term. It means like basically, okay, you've you probably heard about this where like, they're like, oh, they're still working on the company as an advisor to the something, something, which basically is like, we're shit canning you, but we can't shit can you immediately because I don't know, investors would be mad and, or you could sue people and, or yeah. you still have a non-compete. So they, yeah. they keep you away from everything having to do with the company. They are still, you're still collecting your fucking paycheck, but you are you know, basically like made to stay at home and hang out and you just, and you still collect a paycheck because they're trying to like depreciate the, yeah. And they call it gardening leave. It's uh, it's, I like that term. Apparently it was a thing I think for English soldiers where like, uh, uh, like high up commanders, like when something bad was going to happen to them or like they had been implicated in a scandal rather than just resign, they could go on gardening leave for a while and then kind of make a quiet out of the company. Yeah. Well, you see education. That's what we provide. Gardening leave. Gardening leave. So this this it represents the first installment of our attempt at a more focused, uh, uh, timely uh, episode. And already we've farted around for five minutes because we haven't actually picked any topics for today. Hi, Dave. Right. Hi, friend. Hi. Hello. So I uh, <laughs> I did a little. Did a little home uh, car repair today, <laughs> this morning. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. What, what happened there? I was actually driving my old Saab mm-hmm. to DC from Pennsylvania. It's a uh, 94 Saab. Wow. It might be, you know, even 21. It might be old enough to drink. Um, yeah. So I was driving it back from Pennsylvania and, you know, made a couple stops along the way. 
went to TJ's, got some groceries, etc. Mm-hmm. And literally on my block, I was pulling up on my block into a parking place and the um the car started smoking the the check antifreeze light went on and i smelled the smell of burning and antifreeze which if you know what that smells like it kind of smells almost like fake maple syrupy kind of oh jesus um and i immediately pulled into a parking spot and parked the car um and i've i've had this happen before um a hose blows and you know, the antifreeze just sprays all over the hot engine and it just, uh, (laughs) magic. I looked at it. The hose was clearly visible. It would seem to me that all I would need to do is to replace this hose. So, um, I sent some photos of it to my dad and he went talk to our, our wonderful Saab mechanics in Pennsylvania, Joe Davis auto sports. They are the best people. (laughs) And, they said, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, he can totally do this and we'll send you the part. So they mailed me this funny looking hose. It already had the clamps on it. So I took off the old hose. I put on the new hose. I got antifreeze all over and... Uh, all over your hands and face? No, just all over the, the ground. I put down some newspaper, but it, you know, with uh, some success, soaked up the antifreeze and... Uh, I haven't tried, I haven't turned it on, but it's, it seems, I mean, I don't see how I could have done this any better. It just went off without a hitch. So it worked. I don't have a long screwdriver. That's the one thing. If you ever (laughs) see someone like working on the car, they have these really long, long screwdrivers. So you can get in past all of the hoses and parts and things and get down. So I didn't have that, but I, I, I think, I mean, Knock on wood, but it seems like everything worked out. Fantastic. So, auto repair. My my Saab from 1999, making it at least a 15-year-old <laughs> car, maybe 16, maybe it's had its sweet 16, just had its uh, head gasket. Is that the one that's like basically the, the basic part of the engine that stops oil and air from mixing with each other? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That would seem to be an essential function of, yeah, of something, though. Yeah. That stopped working? Mm-hmm. So the engine had to be rebuilt, but I just don't have the fucking time to go buy a new used car. So it was like we basically put down two grand worth of repairs into a car that's only worth two grand. Yeah, <sighs> at best. You know, I mean, the real the real cost of it is what would it cost to replace it? Apparent apparently, it would not be that much. <laughs> it would cost two grand or less. So yeah, I guess not less. Maybe not less. But it would it would cost two grand to replace it with bargaining and being smart enough to get a bargain that's a good one, not something that's just about to explode and die. I mean, at least I know that everything else about the car is basically fine, but... <sighs> Another sob story. Wah-wah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad uses that. He runs that one into the ground. Also, dads are for. Dad humor is 90% puns, really. So, what what do you want to talk about today, friend? I don't know what you got, what you got in the chamber topic, topic du jour. I don't know. I had this whole sort of theory that I've been kind of kicking around in my brain and cause I don't, I don't have a blog or anything. I, I was so, but I've been like writing some blog entries that never get published cause I, I haven't set that shit up. So 
Um, but I thought it might be a good, good venue for talking about this sort of theory that I had. I like it. What you got? Why, you know, why did Apple succeed? Okay. Like, how did it go from what it was in, let's say the eighties and the early nineties as, I mean, an innovator at first, but then increasingly sort of a smaller player and a niche player and they kind of lost their way in the 90s. All this stuff happened. And now, of course, that they are the most highly capitalized tech company, one of the most successful companies um, in the world right now, as far as book value and market cap and everything like that. Aren't, aren't they actually technically the most? They might be. Yeah, they might actually be number one. I guess it was them and was was it Exxon? Exxon. That was yeah, Exxon. The, you know, but of course the price of oil is in the crapper right now. So they probably are number one. I thought a lot about this and why this happened and what was behind this. I don't know that anyone has really provided like a good explanation of what, what happened hmm. other than just to say, well, you know, Steve Jobs is a genius or they simplified their product lines under Steve Jobs and they brought more focus in and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't know. I just, I felt like there was kind of, I haven't really seen a good explanation. Well, I mean, are you looking for, are you looking for a, a single explanation, like one thing? Because I mean, what I think it is, is a, a series of good decisions, uh, a series of well-timed decisions and a series of like, you know, frankly, just luck um, brought them back. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great, I mean, that's absolutely a great way of looking at it. The internet played a huge um, role in this because all of a sudden having OS compatibility wasn't that important. And the internet was like the killer app. The internet was what people cared about. Right. It was the internet. It wasn't being able to run PC software, Mac software. If you had a browser, you were pretty much good to go. So I think, I think there were a lot of things and I, I don't want to really, you know, so I, I understand that this is complex and there isn't like one simple explanation, but I, I sort of came up with an explanation, which I think might be interesting Okay. Um, from a, a sort of philosophical standpoint and, and maybe there's some validity to it. So my thesis here, how did Apple transform into the, mo the world's most viable company? Um, Apple succeeded because it made integrated hardware and software, a unique quality that became increasingly important as computers became smaller and more powerful. So what is, what is underlying this? Back in the day, in the 80s, in the 90s, um, there were towers and performance mattered a ton and design didn't matter very much. You could build your own computer. People had hard drives all over the place, even out on your desktop. I mean, it didn't really matter. It didn't affect the performance of the computer. And yeah, people built their own computers. I remember swapping hard drives out, swapping drives in and out. You had your zip drive, you had your, your CD burner, um, you had your graphics card. Did you did you uh, dabble and play and build your own computer and or modify? Oh, well, computer? you know, I, I did a lot of modifying computers. I didn't ever build any from scratch. 
But I definitely would like, you know, turn a Sound Blaster 16 into a Sound Blaster 32. Or I'd, uh, or I, let's see, I think I did actually do a, um, a video card upgrade. There weren't GPUs yet, so they were video cards. And so I would, I would upgrade those every once in a while. That shit was expensive too. Memory, of course. Hard drives, yes. Memory, yeah. Always with pirated windows. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Computers were big. Yes. And performance was really at a premium. The, perf- the performance of the CPU was really important and power mattered a ton. Um, and then what we see increasingly moving into the 90s is laptops. And at first, laptops were kind of supplements to your real work computer, the real computer that you used to get your, your real work done. Apple was always like really successful with laptops and they were a leader in laptops at the time. Even they were selling way more laptops than they were desktops and in portable machines, new dimensions apart from performance, like pure performance start to become really important. How much does the machine weigh? How long can it run in a battery? Is it durable? Is it rigid? how comfortable and usable is the keyboard or the trackpad or what have you. Heat management in very small spaces also was new. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want it to, you don't want it to burn up your uh, legs, which, which could happen. Well, yeah, because it's two. And those are two different things too, which is kind of good to think about. Like, right. You have one that's just power management in general. How long can it last on a battery? The second one is it can't overheat because you don't have a big, you don't have a big tower. Uh, with a bunch of fans, huge fans, to actually cool this thing down. And uh, famously, they even had problems with it with towers. And in order to really get things screaming, uh, they at one point had to default to making a liquid-cooled computer, um, which I owned, first Mac. Did it? Did it blow up on you? No, no. Okay, because it blew up on some people. In fact, just like my car, right? <laughs> The hose blew. You have <laughs> antifreeze going everywhere. Yeah, exactly. What I'm trying to say is that Apple has always been doing the same thing, right? They've always been making these integrated systems with the hardware and the software. They've always excelled at design. And these things are core competencies of the company, let's say. But as things got smaller and smaller, these values become more and more important. The iPod in 2001, the iPhone in 2007, um, the iPad. And as performance mattered less because the performance was increasing, as the size and, and other sort of constraints matter more, the value of integrated systems go up. And you never see people, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not in this PC world anymore. I don't really think people are like building their own computers these days as much. I don't really see that. People want laptops. They want these, these systems that are, that are integrated and they don't want to cobble together their own laptop because it's, you know, it's going to be garbage. It's going to look, it's going to be way too fat. It's not going to work properly. Yeah. Um, and then, and where are we now? We're here now with a watch, hmm. you know, something that goes in your wrist. I think what I'm trying to say is that Apple succeeded because they made integrated systems. 
They've always made integrated systems. And as these systems got smaller and smaller, that became more and more important. And I might even go so far as to extrapolate one step back from that. Like, what is the, why, why do they have integrated systems? It's because they're control freaks. It's because they actually are caring so much about that end experience that they are like, no, no, we need to control every single part of this. And that also translates into making consumer, uh, consumer-friendly choices in terms of software, in terms of design, and keeping your focus on them and the end user rather than on business deals and expanding market share just to expand market share. I think the overall control and their priority of attempting to delight the people that actually use the products are one of the reasons why they've always felt that that was important. Um, yeah, you're right. That value, that value, the focus on the end user, the focus on the user experience made them create these integrated systems. Yeah, because um, I, I wonder, you know, is it just that they, you know, there, I guess there's two ways. Is it because they are focused on the end user and they just want to make the best thing for the end user? Is it because they correctly uh, don't trust other people to do a decent job and they're afraid of partnership? Regardless of you know what which one it is, or if it's a combination of those factors, the the end game is the same. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else who's like this, who doesn't who perform has, well, who has integrated hardware and software. Oh, Nintendo. <laughs> you know, um, BlackBerry. BlackBerry. So why do they? So why do they fail? I think it's because they can't keep up with the software. That's a really good point. I mean, you still need to innovate. You still need to be pushing. I don't, you know, pushing the envelope. But I think maybe it gave Apple the ability to succeed, but it definitely did. It definitely did not cause their success. They couldn't have done this without being great at software and developing their own software. I think that's clear. I don't know. I mean, even the iPad, um, at first, there was another company that was making that OS for them called, I believe it was called Pixo. Wait, what? Yeah, they didn't develop the, the, they didn't develop the OS of the original iPad of the original iPod. iPod. Sorry, they said iPad and you were fucking me up. But you know, arguably for that product though, that was, that was not the thing that you had to control. Like the feature set was so small. Can you believe, can you believe that they were almost like, was it Fidel or was it, fuck no, somebody else. Whoever was the software guy on the iPod was trying to fight Forstall and be like, pump up the iPod OS and make it to make a phone. And Forstall was like, no, strip down <laughs> OS 10, like make it out of Unix. The idea if we would build up from the iPod rather than strip down OS 10. Yeah, that would have been, that's like a BlackBerry solution. Uh, yeah, right? it is. We'll just keep that's adding. That's exactly right. That's, maybe that's the problem. You know, maybe it's like an inability to just to tear it all down and start new. I mean, like maybe that's the whole thing. Like if execution went wrong on any of this stuff, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But they could succeed maybe because they had expertise in software. And you can't just bring this onto a company. You can't say, all right, we're going to start making world-class software now. You can't, you can't do it. It's got to be baked into the culture. When, when the iPhone came out, BlackBerry, they, they just literally, they didn't, they didn't change what they were doing. It took them years to come up with something. First, they thought it was a total joke. Yeah, they, they, literally, they literally said, this is impossible. We think they're faking it. Yeah, it was their engineers. They were like, we're pretty sure this isn't real. <laughs> this, is a, this is a magic trick. This isn't, this isn't true. Um, what, what, what incredible thinking. 
so, and it's funny because in DC and I never, I mean, um, I never really saw people in New York with blackberries. I mean, occasionally, but not so many in DC. There are still some people who have blackberries because I guess they're government, they're old school, whatever. Like there's still a couple of those, those old fogies rocking those things. And I don't know. Yeah, it is definitely oversimplification. I mean, it did. This doesn't explain everything. And clearly you have to execute on all this stuff or to work. It wasn't just the hardware, you know, it was software integration. iTunes came out before the iPad, uh, the uh, iPod. Right. And there were ecosystems that were created. That's true. And iOS, right? Like iOS is essentially software. It is essentially like them saying we need, you know, not only do we need to make a cool phone, blah, blah, blah. But what's really amazing about it, the fact that it's a touchscreen, well, yeah, that's great. But what's more amazing is like what they put together about how that package works and like how simple it was and how stripped down it was making like hard decisions on its limitations. Whereas if they had just ported OS 10 to a touchscreen phone and been like, this thing's going to be awesome. It would have flamed out and died because it would have been too complex. It would never have worked. The power management stuff never would have happened. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just the fact that they owned the stack, it's that they owned all parts of that stack and they chose to radically depart from what they had already made in order to make in order to make sure that this product would actually be successful. Um, and this is why this is like so BlackBerry was it not able to innovate on the hardware or the software after a given point. Um, yeah. and Nintendo sometimes can make great hardware innovations, but software beho- software wise are really lagging behind. Um, and that's why they're failing. Like they still have not finger- figured out how to integrate the internet. They have not figured out how to do anything other than continue to make good games. Um, but their UI is weird and terrible. You know, it's like they really don't have a sense for how software is supposed to work in this age. They just don't get it. For Nintendo, do you think this is like a family friendly thing? It's more than just that. It's also like monetization strategies with games, downloading from stores. You know, there's some family-friendly stuff that's certainly a part of it, but there's such simpler ways just to make sure that people don't say mean stuff to each other. You know, I mean, just look at look at their their menus with like big ridiculous buttons and super text-heavy. The whole way that the store is organized is crazily clunky. You cannot cross by between. Uh, you know, I think they're just trying out the idea of cross buying between a 3DS and a, and a Wii U, like all this, all this stuff. Like they are so far behind PlayStation and Xbox. And the funniest thing is, if they just were a little bit more comfortable thieving <laughs> and stealing ideas, they could do such a better job. But there's still this kind of like, um, in some ways, Jobsy and pride of being like, no, like we're going to do it our way. We're going to do it differently. But because of that, they're missing very obvious, much better ideas because they're trying to recreate every single wheel that comes at them. And it slows them down. And I think one of the things that Apple has done recently that's really to their credit is that they've been a lot less afraid to pull features from Android that are clearly good ideas. Yeah, like There's a lot of things that have come from looking at competitors and they're integrating similar ideas rather than being so prideful and saying, well, they came up with that, but they're shit, we're awesome, we're not going to do that. That's not. We don't think that makes any sense. 
Yeah, they're they're much better being like notifications. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Let's let's get that. You have to learn, and you have to you have to be willing to t- to take good ideas and improve on them or use them to inform your your decisions. I mean, it's so obvious, but it's it's true. It's it's a it's a flexibility in terms of like software, and and you know that's what they're doing for the watch. This is not iOS on your wrist. I don't know exactly what it is going to be on your wrist, but it's not iOS. Mm. They are they are letting it be a different thing. Have you looked into? Um, I haven't actually looked at this. Have you looked into like the the coding and all the how development for for the Apple Watch is going to work? Uh, it's pretty stripped, it's streamlined right now. Um, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do on sort of round one. There's going to be a fuller SDK of apps sort of probably released at next WWDC. And that's when stuff's going to get really crazy. Well, I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting off the point though. Let's, I'm sure you have more to your digital, uh, no, your critical I theory. mean, no, that's pretty much, I mean, it's very, it's very simple. There's nothing, I mean, and some people are talking about these sort of modular phones and how great it will be that you know you can yeah. put a different processor on it and you can just change this and you can put on a new i don't know battery double the battery put on a different pr- a graphics unit i don't even but this know is, this i mean is it so sounds ridiculous. it like, sounds nuts to me display technology is changing so quickly like everything about phones is changing so quickly the only thing i can think of that or that makes sense is your battery like your battery actually wears out and you could use a new one and that's great. But in the intervening two years where you have a phone and you are contractually obligated to stick with the same phone, there's going to be a lot more things that change. Like look at a um, an iPhone 4 display versus an iPhone 3G display. Huge difference, retina, right? Look at an iPhone 5 display versus an iPhone 4 display. Incredible difference, like way more laminated, laminated, way closer to the actual screen of the glass. Two more years, iPhone 6, it's even better. It's brighter. Like it just looks incredible next to an iPhone 5 or 5S. Like everything changes about it. So what are you also going to be able to change out the screen? And at that point, is that really going to save you money versus just buying a new phone every two to three years? I I just can't believe it. Yeah, I it seems I don't know, it seems ridiculous to me. It seems like people who were kind of obsessed with customization thought that you should be able to do it. In theory, yes, it would be great if I could just swap in some more memory or you know, internally or change the components, but I just practically I just it just seems like this is never going to work. I remember it, what was it called? It's like project. Uh, it's like project, like aha, or like project Asha, or like project. A uh, project Ara. Ara, is it actually released? It's a code name for an initiative by Google that aims to develop a free open hardware oh, platform for creating highly modular smartphones. Mm-hmm. It would have a structural frame. That would hold smartphone modules of the owner's choice, such as a display, keyboard, or, or extra battery. It would let users swap out malfunctioning modules or upgrade individual modules as innovations emerge. Why would it be malfunctioning unless they were shitty commoditized pieces of crap that you were sliding in and off your phone? I don't know. I mean, just the whole thing seems insane, insane to me. Like, this is an object that gets beat up in your pocket. It needs to be refreshed. Like, it's not going to be something that stays with you for 20 years. 
Neither is a laptop. I, you know what I mean? Like we already have modular laptops, computers, and like what is the amount of time that that can potentially buy you to upgrade parts and pieces? Maybe another two to four years at absolute best. How long, you know, if you have a laptop for more than four years, that thing like has such huge changes. Even if you upgrade the hard drive, I don't know, man. I just It just seems like such a pipe dream and one without really a purpose. Like phones are not that expensive. They are subsidized by companies or if you're paying full price, they're way, way less than a thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, maybe the maybe that's part of the problem too is just, the business model of the phone is such that as the consumer, you're not bearing most of the cost anyway. So and maybe you are in Europe, but even then it's like, you know, you, you, I don't know, man, it, it seems like such a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, totally. And if you look, if you look at the components, um, if you look at the, um, the modules and everything, there are all these little boxes right? And they're all built like these little boxes and bricks that you can move around. And okay, you're adding weight, you're adding size. I mean, there's a premium on a tight package where everything, every inch of space is used potentially for battery. The other like, thing that's is, what is you that want. like, you know, what happens when these things start to work on a different bus than what your frame is? You need a new thing anyway. It's not as if these things are like there's only one uh, there's only one kind of bus that's actually going to accept input from all these things and that's never going to change either. Like any kind of change in architecture of hmm. uh, CPUs might make any of these things completely irrelevant. Yeah, and who and who's going to support you know who's going to support this when <laughs> you put in some crazy ass piece and I mean I guess it would run stock Android, but even then. I mean, you're coming up with all these. It just seems it seems like a seems like it's it's not going to work. Oh well, it's Android, so Google will probably provide. Oh wait, no, 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 they don't support anything, even the phones that they directly sell. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's going to be at most. Well, I don't want I don't want to make prognostications like this, but I I just don't see this as being more than a niche thing no of course because who would even who would even want to do this anyway if not like a big nerd which is fine is uh i had another thing maybe to talk about mm. but it's on um so you know it seems and i, I guess we've never really addressed this explicitly but i am half tiger half man it's not a big deal <laughs> everyone Stop worrying about it. My stripes are beautiful. Uh, I'm not ashamed of them. And I refuse to be told by society that I should be. So I'm putting it out there. I Okay. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Take notes. Um, I uh, anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, what? Hmm? What? Samsung, oh, what were you going to say? Sorry. Samsung is um, having some trouble. Oh. And... Schadenfreude. I, if you look, if you flash back to a year or two ago or three, Samsung was riding high. It seemed there were a lot of people, um, a lot of analysts who thought that Samsung is winning because they're moving a lot of units of phones and 
But what, but what were those analysts ignoring? Do we remember what they were ignoring? Profit? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, Samsung was, was still like they were profitable. The only profitable companies were, were Samsung and Apple. And I, I understand that they were less profitable. Their margin, yeah. I mean, but yeah, but so everyone was talking about market share. It was this entire, it was, it was, um, it was wrapped up not only in the idea that Samsung is great, you know, whatever, but it was, it was born from the idea of the, um, what Gruber loves to call the church of market share, which says you get high enough market share, everyone abandons the other platform and you win no matter what. So although the fact that Samsung was only capturing 25% of the profit share of this market because they were selling decidedly lower end phones, they were still winning because they were shipping more units, which meant more things and more devices of consumers, which meant that everyone starts developing for them, which meant that then people stopped developing for Apple, which eventually means that the, pro- that, like, the uh, platform stagnates and dies. So this was like seven levels of, of telling the future based on the fact that they were selling more low-end units. Um, and they, everyone saw it as a repeat of that Windows... Uh, Mac story from the 90s yeah. without realizing that things aren't quite the same as they were back then. Yeah, and also, I mean, to be fair, some of the units were high, higher end as well. For sure. Um, and I would bet that a lot of the profits also came from these these higher end, let's say like S3s or S4s or whatever. Yep, notes. But I've talked to... I mean, and I talked to someone who uh, works for Samsung, and I, I, I said, you know, don't don't you think this is a problem that because the software is undifferentiated, because this is they're all using Android, that companies are going to come along, Chinese manufacturers, other people are just going to undercut Samsung and eat their lunch because there's nothing really that makes it like a Samsung phone versus any other phone, really any other Android phone or the things that do make it a Samsung phone are, uh, are actually hindrances to using the phone. Like they are bad software innovations that people do not find to be useful. Okay. Right. And he was basically like, no, no, no. And I think there was, was the, I think there was, a, that was the core of I his think argument. There was a move. Well, no, I, I think there was a move within, and I mean, anybody, I really, I really do think that people who understand how commodif- commodification works could see this coming from a mile away because what this looked like from the out to me and from people on the outside, I think who understood this, this looked like the PC, market all over again you get a ton of players they're using one software platform the hardware is largely undifferentiated and you have a race to the bottom and there's no way that you can defend your market position because there's no differentiating features yeah their their profits have been missing uh, expectations for the last i think three quarters and yeah and their stock keeps getting hit and i think people are now seeing and if you look at Apple stock price, you you'll see that people now see that this idea that Samsung is going to come along and, and undercut Apple is not is not been proven out. It's yeah. you know these these Chinese manufacturers are coming in and undercutting Samsung. 
Xiaomi. I guess Lenovo. I think it's Xiaomi and Lenovo primarily are the two ones that are eating most of Samsung's uh, lunch. Yeah, I mean, and it feels like people are able to sort of get that. They're able to understand that and they are able to sort of be like, oh, okay, this isn't the golden bullet we thought it was. And it's, but it's just amazing how fast everybody just turns on their previous predictions. You know, everything before was Apple's not making low enough end phones, they're not going after developing markets, and therefore they're going to lose. And now <laughs> it's like Samsung, because they're going after developing markets, are easily undercut. And that's why they're that's why they're losing profit share. I mean, more profits and like they're missing expectations every single quarter. But just like people are so bad at being able to extrapolate that. Um yeah, and then the next, so um, who else? It's uh, Huawei, ZTE. All right, Huawei, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, in the next story, the next, so now it seems like Apple's doing well and the media is kind of on board with the story that Apple's doing well and it seems like they're going to sell a ton of phones um, and then the next, I mean, the next media cycle might say, hey, all these Chinese manufacturers, they took out Samsung, they're going to take out Apple. And you'll see Apple won't be immune from this. There'll be price pressure, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, one of the things is that I, I think some of these things could be theoretical threats. ZTE, Huawei, and Lenovo could be theoretical threats to Apple, but um, but Xiaomi is a shameless, shameless ripoff artist. They they actually rip off like Apple promotional materials. They actually have Apple icons. Like they they, they their entire thing is built on the fact that they are knockoff iPhones. And any other company other than China, sorry, any other country outside of China that has stronger copyright law, I don't that com- that company cannot compete. Um, and they are the ones that are really destroying Samsung's market share in China the most aggressively because that's what sort of Samsung, frankly, had a lot of its success was that they were able to emulate Apple aesthetics very strongly. And Apple aesthetics had always been a uh, something that was received very positively, uh, especially in China. And so one of the reasons why they were doing so well is because they were doing a great job knocking that shit off. <laughs> I mean, and frankly, in the United States, if you want my opinion, because they were sort of making knockoffs um, and they were still able to do so cheaply and have you know put just tons of money behind marketing, especially in the United States. But Xiaomi is way more shameless. It's, I mean, it's like copying everything except for the Apple logo. I mean, it is crazy. Um, even the names are similar. And so black turtlenecks and all black turtlenecks and all. Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're really killing uh, Samsung in China. Uh, But again, I I don't, I don't think they're going to expand as much, but maybe ZTE and Huawei, but they're not as big a player as Xiaomi right now. The Xiaomi is really the ones. I didn't, I didn't know that. Is that, is that a fact? Yeah. Xiaomi is the biggest, the biggest player and the ones who are Mm. really eating up most of Samsung's uh, lead in that country. And Apple, because it hasn't played in the low end, still retains its luxury brand status. So it still maintains desirability and it's still something that is coveted and desired, especially by the small in terms of percentage, but not small in terms of absolute numbers of people, uh, upper class within China. So it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a crazy thing. I, I think there's been a lot of people that have been 
that have kind of called this out before it happened. I think Horace Deju was sort of yeah. roughly in the ballpark for sort of guessing how this was going to play out and that Samsung was going to get commoditized. Totally. Because they didn't have differentiated software. Yeah. Um, but man. Yeah, I mean, now that it's actually happening, I am shocked that I'm seeing p- pieces on Business Insider that, that don't seem to think that Apple is imminently doomed. Like, I haven't seen that in 20 years. <laughs> oh, really? It's like, yeah. no, I mean, 15 years, in all well, honesty. Every, you know, people lack imagination until the earnings or something happens that shows that, oh, oh no, you know, until that actually happens and the numbers start going in the other direction, people don't see it, you know, and then that, but that forces them to reevaluate their whole view of the company. I wonder if that's a bad sign. I wonder if once like business insider creeps, once if <laughs> once those guys start to think that Apple is going to do well, that's probably the time when you got to bail. Yeah. Like once totally. the conventional wisdom is that Apple is an awesome, unstoppable juggernaut, we're screwed. Everything's over for them. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, we go through these boom and bust cycles. And I think, I think absolutely that you have to be contrarian in the market. And hmm. the analysts, for the most part, are not going to stick out their neck and say, um, sell, sell when the, when the company is at an all time high. They're not going to say, all right. You know, and when it's down in the dumps, they're not going to tell you to buy the company. They're not, they're not going to do that. Like it's not, it's not really the job that they do is not really that helpful. And again, <laughs> Horace Deju has done a much better job of explaining this and picked apart sell side analysts and why, why it doesn't work. Like these stock analysts, why their whole existence is suspect. All right, man. Well, I think, I think this is. This is more than a show at this point. Yeah, uh, this is definitely a show, even with some stuff cut out. Um, do we have a good endpoint? No. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs>